Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Galatians 4, 8 to 9. Oh, thank you. That's our own Kelly Hill, our uh, classical coordinator here at Sharon Hills Christian School, reading from the book of Galatians. And this is a foundational verse when we think, classically speaking, what is good, true, and beautiful. Well, welcome to our Christ-centered Kingdom Consciousness and Classical Christian Education podcast. Um, this is a phrase that has been rather widely used in the classical world, and it permeates kind of everything we do. So with me today to talk is Kelly Hill, who you just heard from, and also one of our humanities teachers, Leah Evko. Uh, Leah has grown up in classical education, uh, received a classical education at university level, and has been teaching with us for many years. So Leah, let's start with you. What are some of the origins of this phrase in classical education, good, true, and beautiful? Yeah, so the idea of the good, true, and the beautiful goes as far back as ancient Greece. Um, the ancient Greek philosophers, Plato famously in the Republic, talks about the pursuit of the good. Of course, for him, that meant trying to figure out balance and trying to figure out what virtue was and what virtue should look like in the Republic. And he believed that guided by the light of truth, you'd be able to arrive at that. And the thing that draws us to the truth and to the good is beauty, our desire um, for that which we see as beautiful. In the Renaissance, and as um, classical education originally started, we see that Christianity is able to uniquely, not just co-opt, but fulfill those ideas of the good, the true, and the beautiful, because all of those things that the ancient Greeks were seeking, the balance that they were trying to find, the beauty that they were trying to look for, we see the fulfillment of in Christ. And we see in Christianity the qualities of God, his goodness, his beauty, and his absolute truth as the things that we are seeking through our lives and through our education. Through classical education, we seek to instill a love for those things in our students as well. Well, that's great. And, and we have, of course, the grammar, rhetoric, and, and logic eras uh, of, of classical education. And a, and a heavy dose of history and literature and all these things and art that comes through our classical training for our students. Now, Kelly, how does this correlate human-made art, something like a great novel or a great piece of art, the you know, like the Michelangelo, right, uh, Sistine Chapel, perhaps? Like, how does that correlate into something higher because of its good, true, and beauty? Right. Well, I mean, we are, at our core, we are image bearers of God. That's who we are, and it is what we were made to do, to bear his image, to to live in a way that brings him glory. And for those of us who've put our faith in Christ, to reflect Christ. So having been made in the image of God, we are uniquely equipped in all of creation to imitate him in being creative. So we don't all have the skill of Michelangelo, but certainly we can look at what Michelangelo did and see a heart to reflect the glory of God, to to glorify God. And 
Um, I mean, yes, you can look at Michelangelo. I may not be teaching Michelangelo in my classroom, but I'm teaching image bearers of God, and I want to draw out anything in them as an opportunity for them to be creative, to reflect the glory of God. Um, And I want to point them to these masters who have created um, things that are true, who've written things that make us consider human nature and the redemptive plan of God. Um, And that doesn't mean we only consider things that are beautiful. Uh, We actually consider things that are very hard. We read hard novels with difficult themes that have redemptive outcomes so that we can chew on these things in the classroom. Well, I think about that when we talk about, we read something like Macbeth by William Shakespeare, obviously my favorite writer. And yes, his words are beautiful, but when he's writing, you know, uh, out, out, brief candle, that's kind of depressing. Uh, and it's kind of a dark moment. And Macbeth itself is a story that is is dark, and, and you're teaching it this year, Leah. It's not... Um, it's it's not easily easy to see the redemption in there, right? It takes a that's one thing about a classical education. You almost need an experienced teacher to kind of draw that out, right? Yes, and and sometimes it's seeing the contrast too. It's looking at things that aren't necessarily beautiful or aren't necessarily true, and learning how to discern how they hold up to that standard, so that you're learning the standard, and then you're learning how to evaluate things that either do or do not measure up to that standard, whether that's an entire work of literature or art, or whether that is a portion of a work of art, one speech from a character um, that displays a anti-Christian worldview or something that is not true. Because the reality is most of the art, (laughs) most of the things that students will encounter in the outside world are not going to be good, true, and beautiful. So they need to learn both that standard and how to measure other things up against that. We study Oedipus in eighth grade. If you've read that, you know that there is not a lot of beauty and goodness in that story. But when we look at how different life for those who lived under um, belief in these impersonal deities who force them to stay in sin versus our God. When we see that contrast, it makes the beauty and the truth and the goodness of God shine even clearer than it would otherwise. So we can read these old pagan works, if you will. I mean, Sophocles, Aristophanes, and it actually holds a mirror up to God because it either shows where God's imprint is available because we're made in his image, and it can reflect the sin and fall of human nature, right, that needs Christ. So that's a that's a really big deal. How else does this, uh, Leah? How else does this impact classical education on a day to day life? So something that I try to talk about a lot with my class, and even try to keep very clear in my own mind, is the idea that, as the Bible says, you know, we can do all things for the glory of God, and that includes education. And something that I constantly um, return to is a speech by C.S. Lewis titled Learning in Wartime, um, which is a talk he gave to his students in the middle of World War II, where he talks about why it's important to study when the world is ending around him. Um, And what he arrives at is that the pursuit of knowledge is a good in and of its own right, And that by pursuing knowledge, we are able to know God's character more. 
And I think in the day-to-day world, there are so many things in the culture around us that are begging for our attention and for our students' attention. And there are so many things that seem like the world is ending. There are so many pressing issues where it seems like doing their homework is the least important thing in the world. But seeing that studying is a way that we're able to see God's nature clearer, see his goodness, his truth, his beauty um, in a more clear way, and that it is what we're called to right now. Um, They are all students, and we as teachers are all called to be teachers, and we know that because we're here. We know that we're called to do that because that's where we are and that's where they are. Um, So this idea that just throughout your very mundane day-to-day life, um, whether you're a student and you're doing homework or you're a teacher and you're trying to get your lesson plans in at the last (laughs) minute, the idea that all of that is done for the glory of God and is what will allow you to see this bigger, fuller picture of him. And that's what I want for our students. And that's what I want for me even more. That's something I have to try to remind myself of even every day. But I think that's how it really comes into play in the day-to-day if you can get it in that perspective and you can put it in that perspective too for them. And I would add to that, I'm a math teacher and Leah is in the humanities. And so we have we have very different looking lesson plans, I would say. And our, we spend our days quite differently because I'm in the math realm. And for me, the truth element for math, of course, I mean, that math is a beautiful playground to study truth because we have mathematical law that stands the test of time. And I take that opportunity to point out to my kids. I mean, we use the word commitment in this day and age when an 11th grade boy can commit to a division one football team and, and get a big tattoo on his arm for that team. And then in 12th grade, he gets a better deal and he switches to the enemy, you know, and, and may spend his four years of college playing for the other team. And did he really make a commitment? You know, he made a commitment in ink on his arm, but did he make an actual commitment? And so I love that math is an opportunity to explore the unchanging nature of God. So I really do pull out this is truth that lets us see truth that doesn't change it spans the test of time but also the beauty and the goodness in math I mean God is so good to us that the Pythagorean theorem does not fail that's what holds up the trusses of our roof you know he's so good to us that we see precision and symmetry and order in a snowflake that evaporates if you breathe on it I mean, I, I think that all of us feel this um, call, like you said, to pull what is good, what is true, and what is beautiful out of every subject. And um, I love today at lunch, one of our history teachers was sharing how he was talking about Newton's third law of motion in history class. And they went outside and they, they threw balls and tried to intercept them. This was history class. And because he's approaching education with a classical perspective, he mingled the subjects and they were so delighted. This was a group of 10th graders who were so excited about their history teacher doing a science and math experiment with them outside today. So it's really cool to see that play out in the day to day. That's amazing to how you make math so exciting that I even think I want to be in a math class. And uh, you're talking about a guy who took college algebra four times at the university <laughs> level. Um, but uh, no, that's true. We see God's beauty and all those things. I, I kind of being a history man, uh, history major, just love history and, and has taught it for years. 
I also feel like when we look at the good, true, and beautiful of whether it's history or literature, and of course the truth that comes from math and science and God's truth there, um, it's almost as if when, how do we learn our lessons in life? Obviously the word of God and our church family and, th- and important things like that, but uh, I feel like I have learned from the lives of 10,000 other people because yes. I have read of their lives, I have read of their deep thoughts in great literature books, and and it has helped me process, think, be a better uh, adult, who, whether, you know, granted I'm in education, but it doesn't matter what career I'm in, I, I feel like that kind of prepared me. So seeing that, that the good, the true, and the beautiful in everything um, almost makes it uh, more accessible, but also you, you see God's imprint. I will say it can also be sort of a um, test of what we shouldn't see as well. Would you agree? I mean, in other yes. words, there's times where we might think, you know, that's just gratuitous, whether it's a show, because we're obviously, we're, we're teachers. We're going to have, the, and we're in South Florida, we're going to have students who push us with, well, have you seen this movie or have you seen this? And I'm going, I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm old. I don't know. Um, but uh, my uh, question to them is always, is it good? Is it true? Is it beautiful? And if it's if it's violence or, or of sexual nature from just a strict gratuitous, if, if, if the sex and the violence exists for the sex and the violence, you know, that's not good, true, and beautiful. That's not art. That is just, that's the difference between maybe the statue of David by Michelangelo and somebody who's just making kind of the cultural nonsense that comes out today. So again, this is an important filter, I think, for us, or for our students, and for our, our even as ourselves as we traverse this cultural world. Would you agree? Yes, and we're building an appetite for them. It's just like when you have a little child; if you only give them the sweet things, then they don't necessarily develop a, an appetite for things that might be more nutritious and really more nourishing for them physically. But for their souls. We have to build an appetite for what is true, for what is good, is and for what is beautiful. Like the world holds nothing back, trying to satisfy every negative appetite that our kids have, and so we want to be bold. We a classical education is not a wimpy education. It is boldly going, um, really fist to fist with culture, and giving them an appetite for what is right. Um, and you see this play out later. Um, my own daughter has chosen to go to a secular college, and um, I have another one who's at a Christian college. They're having very different experiences. Um, the one at the secular college has already told me, we're only one week into school, and she's already told me, I've been assigned some articles that just fell flat, and then she sent me an article, and she said it was beautiful. It actually lifted up you know, the significance of God and saying there is no ultimate satisfaction apart from God. And she is weighing out. She's doing that comparison of, you know, taking two things and this one, maybe I'm assigned to read it, but I am not, you know, I'm not letting this one shape me. And she's at a point where she can do that with some maturity and she has an appetite for the one that is good. That one, she's going to talk around the lunch table with her friends. That one, she emailed back, to share with some of her professors here and be like, this is awesome. So we do see some fruit of it, of that um, better appetite. And she's doing it away from mom and dad. She's yes. doing it five hours away from yeah. mom and dad or her high school teachers. She's taking this lesson she learned from a classical school for, with, with and obviously a strong church family on, on all those important things. But she can go to that secular campus and stand up to the things that are out there, and she's not wavering. 
Now, right. maybe that's not everybody. Maybe right. I'm not saying that's for everybody, but in this case, uh, the classical education for her really seemed to pay off. So, um, so what do we need to do as humans to better understand God's design in its good, true, and beautiful form? What can we do personally? And I'm talking about ourselves. I talk about our students, about even parents listening to this, who's maybe maybe these parents haven't read, you know, all 38 of Shakespeare's plays or Dante's Inferno, and here they are saying, "Wow, my child's <laughs> out reading me." Right. Um, what can we all do to have a better understanding of God's design in these ways? I think that the first and primary way, which you have to state because it, it can't just fall by the wayside in pursuit of these things, um, you know, the Odyssey and Dante's Inferno should not replace your daily devotions or your church and your time with God, because these things are beautiful when we're able to see him more clearly through them. But if we don't know him and if we are not, um, focusing on him uh, in the way that we should, then those things are going to be just as detrimental to us as the, you know, gory sexual movies would be. Um, So the first and foremost step is your relationship with God. Um, Spending time with him each day, praying, being in church, getting to know his character um, so that you can recognize the good, the true, and the beautiful aspects that you see in other things. Um, As for the literature side of things, or not even literature, but just the educational side of seeing God's character through these things, um, because of course, math, there's beauty in math. I know intellectually (laughs) that that's true. (laughs) Speaking of Plato, he did think that the beauty of math would be the thing that drew people, Mm. that that made them long for beauty. Um, I'll take his word for yeah. it. <laughs> but um, my personal number one recommendation would be pick up a book and read um, a book that your child is reading, or um, you can look at the list that we have of resources um, as good places to start and just read through it and intentionally look for these things, for what is good, what is true, and what is beautiful about it. Um and see what it can show you about God. One of my um, favorite authors calls it reading for the love of God um, intentionally as a way of pursuing God. And and the math teacher me, I would actually say the same thing. Read. Um, we have a mom of one of our seniors. She, the senior's about to graduate this year. And for years, her mom has chosen to always read whatever novels she's been assigned you know, for her summer reading at least, and then also the novels throughout the year. And so what that mom is doing um, is redeeming her own education alongside of her daughter. And they have beautiful conversations about what they're reading. And they have hard conversations about the hard things they're reading. And something you mentioned, Mr. Spee, I mean, you can deal with very hard subjects through a character's experience and journey through those, or You can go the really hard way and maybe deal with it in reality because you didn't deal with those hard things through an excellent novel that addresses hard things. So um, I totally second that to as parents to I have to look back on my education and say my kids education is nothing like my education. Um, We we spoke in another uh, podcast about all of the. memory period work we do to help them load so much grammar and so 
so many um, subjects to learn a whole timeline of history. We're trying to get our seventh graders to memorize all the countries of the world and be able to draw them with accurate borders. I mean, this is a lofty goal. I didn't have an education like that. Um, I don't have that framework in my brain like my own children do, but I'm much better off than I was, you know, before they started learning these things. And I sort of learned alongside of them. So, yeah, as parents, um, we just jump in the deep end with them. And a lot of it happens naturally just at the dinner table as well. What did you learn today? And you really listen. Oh, that's cool. What do you, like, what do you, what do you think about that? And you have meaningful conversations. In our day and age, we're as guilty as the teenagers for scrolling on our phones and checking out, um, wasting time when we're in traffic, that we could be intentional about having good conversations with our kids. Um, and they can point us to some of what is true, good, and beautiful. Our school does a great job of making good recommendations. Um, we're very careful about what books we ask our kids to read. And so, you know, you might be reading a book that your third grader is reading. And it can point you to what is true, good, and beautiful. You can do it all the way through 12th grade and beyond. And we have a great books project here for the 5th through 12th grade. And I, I know that those novels, a lot of them I read in high school that my children are reading in younger grades. But uh, And some of them I probably never did get to. But it's so great to have that right there. So if you if you even have that list in your hand with your child, read the books with them. Enjoy it. You know, it's 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 a really great list and of course, we'll we'll put some of our own book lists on the website so you can um, see some of the things we're talking about. But I do want to thank you, Leah and Kelly, for joining us. You know, it's a big deal to talk about what is good, true, and beautiful because we sign off every episode with seek what is good, true, and beautiful because we're a classical school. So on that note, my friends, seek what is good, true, and beautiful. Thank you for joining us. The opinions expressed on this program are that of the hosts and the guests. The podcast is produced by Alex Halpert. Sheridan Hills Christian School is a ministry of Sheridan Hills Baptist Church.